You are listening to ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Caudill, host of Everyday Family Medicine. Joining me today is Dr. Patrick Spencer, board-certified ophthalmologist in private practice. Dr. Spencer is chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at Grandview and Southview Hospital Medical Centers in Dayton, Ohio. And today, we're going to be discussing sickle cell retinopathy. Welcome, Dr. Spencer. Thank you, Jennifer. So we're talking about sickle cell retinopathy, which is something that, as a family doctor, is not something I'm always thinking about or is top of my mind. So can you maybe start us off by talking about how common sickle cell disease is in general and in the world, in the United States, and give us a little facts about that? Well, as you may know, about 250,000 worldwide are born with sickle cell disease, and anywhere from estimated of 90,000 to 100,000 Americans are born with it. Uh, but in particular, we have about one in out of every 500 uh, black or African Americans are, are born with sickle cell disease. And that trend continues with our Hispanic Americans, and about one out of every uh, 36,000. And so uh, it is a pretty common disease. If you look at it as a trait, about one in 12 blacks or African Americans are born with it. So it's very common. Now, is this a condition that affects only blacks or Hispanics, which you happen to mention? Typically, it does not. It can affect uh, many heritages. Those in, typically, we say of sub-Saharan descent in America, those are particularly the dominant races. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, signs and symptoms. What might we see? Some of the first ocular symptoms could be blurred vision. Uh, you may have eye pain from uh, raised intraocular pressure, ultimately even loss of vision. Do you happen to know any numbers about this, like the percentage of sickle cell disease patients or sickle cell trait patients that will um, end up with the sickle cell retinopathy? Is that common among those with sickle cell? Well, a sickle cell disease is, is pretty common. I don't have an exact percentage there, but we know that about 40% of children will be hospitalized from some part of their crisis. And those crises will manifest ocular symptoms inside the eye. Interesting. Okay. So that may be a place where we see some of the eye symptoms, if not in other places, then during the crises. Correct. You're very familiar, of course, with the NCAA standards. And can you talk to us a little bit about that in terms of screening for sickle cell and what it means for clinicians and patients? One of my passions is taking care of athletes. And I'm happy that there's been increased awareness about sickle cell disease among the student-athletes. The NCAA has recommended to their colleges and universities that there be confirmation of the sickle cell status of their student-athletes. This was kind of brought on because uh, over the years of 2000 to 2009, there were over seven football student deaths who died during their conditioning exercises that actually had trait. So with this increasing awareness and the increasing intensity that our student-athletes are undergoing, I'm sure that without this awareness, there would probably be even more death. Sure, absolutely. Just out of curiosity, what types of athletes do you work with and in what capacity? I am with the local university here, University of Dayton, and my professional and professional baseball teams. I work with all the athletes. But we see in football, because it's such an intense sport at times, the exertion is very quick. It's conducted in the summer months, and they tend to suffer from the dehydration that's common among the football players at this time of the year. I do work with runners, long distance and so forth, and some of the dehydration that they'll suffer and intensity of their exercise makes them more prone to the um, sickle cell type related eye symptoms. 
We're talking about sickle cell retinopathy in particular today. How might someone, a physician, you, you mentioned three eye symptoms early on. You you mentioned um, that blurred vision, eye pain, and ultimately loss of vision can be signs and symptoms of sickle cell retinopathy. And you also mentioned that we oftentimes see these in the midst of a sickle cell crisis. How might a physician make the diagnosis of sickle cell retinopathy? The first thing is that all the patients should have an eye examination or a fundoscopic examination, which would include even the anterior segment of the eye. That's the only real way to determine if there is any retinopathy going on. Uh, So when we take them to the slit lamp, we're going to be looking at the conjunctiva, the vessels there. You can even see sickling going on on the conjunctival vessels. Interesting. Uh, There will be certain dilations uh, during this crisis and that they can actually even be relieved by just the warming of the light. Interesting from the slit lamp because it causes dilation of the vessel. The other component of that is obviously doing a dilated exam. We're looking into the posterior segment. Some of the anterior segment findings, we will see uh, ischemic uh, conditions of the iris. Uh, We can note vessels there. Uh, And as we move further into the eye, the, the, the retina, we're looking for different classifications. And there's one in particular called the Goldberg classification of uh, proliferative sickle retinopathy. The first part, stage one, would be seeing peripheral arterial occlusions. And these can occur, they are commonly seen in the ages between 15 and 30 years. As we moved to the next stage, stage two, we will see something called vascular remodeling between the areas of perfusion and non-perfusion. A popular sign is something called a C-fan neovascularization in the form of a, well, actually a C-fan neovascularization frond. Vitreous hemorrhages are, are commonly seen in the later stages and even retinal detachments. So those are some of the retinal findings. That's really interesting. How often should a patient with sickle cell trait or sickle cell disease have their routine eye exams just in general? How often should they see you as an ophthalmologist? Uh, Routinely, they should have at least yearly eye examinations. If there's no retinopathy found, they should have more frequently examinations if there has been or they're under the care of or being treated for some retinopathy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Everyday Family Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Patrick Spencer. He's a board-certified ophthalmologist in private practice, and he's also the chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at Grandview and Southview Hospital Medical Centers in Dayton, Ohio. So, Dr. Spencer, we're talking about sickle cell retinopathy today, and we spent the first half of the conversation talking a little bit about sickle cell disease and how it affects patients and some of the clinical findings you might see on, you know, a dilated eye exam. Let's now go into the further classification of sickle cell retinopathy. How do we classify uh, this retinopathy? Sure. We use a classification system called the Goldberg classification of proliferative sickle retinopathy. And it's five stages. The first stage uh, would consist of peripheral arterial occlusions. The second stage, we'd see some vascular remodeling between the areas of perfusion and non-perfusion uh, with formation of anastomosis. The third stage would be pre-retinal neovascularization. And as we perhaps said earlier, in a form or shape known as a C-fan. And we'll see that out in the peripheral areas of the retina. There are different vitreous and retinal hemorrhages. One has a term called a Salmon patch. As it starts to fade away, it takes on a very light appearance of a Salmon color. And uh, vitreous hemorrhage obviously can fill the, uh, the cavity of the eye. And that's stage four. 
And then finally, the last stage, stage five, is where retinal detachments occur. You've mentioned the different stages of the condition. Let's now talk about treatment options. Can you walk us through those? Early stages that we see, if we start to see the retinopathy, the neovascularization beginning, we can treat those with laser treatment, laser photocoagulation, where we're trying to stave off increasing neovascularization. As you know, the, the retina is one of the most vascularized and oxygen-requiring tissues of the body, and so it's very sensitive to oxygen deprivation, these different strenuous conditions that can occur. So we'll try to make sure that they're getting enough oxygen. We've used hyperbaric chambers for treatment. Right now, we're using anti-vascular endothelial growth factors to try to stop the neovascularization that occurs. Is this common, you know, sickle cell retinopathy? You did talk a little bit about it. You said, I think, maybe 40% of patients with sickle cell disease. Am I correct with that? They'll be hospitalized for their crisis or treatments related to the sickle cell disease. And we will see in most of those retinal findings. I'm a family doctor, and I do have patients with sickle cell as well as, well as many other patients. You know, besides getting my patients with sickle cell disease to the eye doctor yearly for the routine preventative care that you mentioned, is there anything that else that I need to be aware of when it comes to the sickle cell retinopathy? Anything, you know, that, that you would want us family docs to know? Well, I think just making sure that they're incorporating this as part of their uh, yearly uh, routine eye examination to let their physician know that they have disease or trait, particularly the trait, because as we're increasing our numbers of cataract surgeries, that stress alone on the eye can perhaps put it in a um, hypoxic state, and we may need to take special considerations for somebody undergoing surgery. If there are retinal detachments or injuries to the eye, such as like a hyphema that can occur from injury or sports-related injury to the eye, we would like to, them to let us know that because it does alter our treatments quite a bit. Sure. No, I think that's a very important point and a very good one. Once again, I kind of wanted to go back to your work with athletes. I know that you work a lot with athletes. And maybe can you tell us about the exact work that you do with athletes and, and anything else with, regarding our athletes and, and the NCAA testing that us family docs or docs in general need to be aware of that might be helpful? I'm the team ophthalmologist for the University of Dayton. We do a special thing. We screen all of their athletes the freshman year and their junior year. So we do a fundus exam and a visual acuity on them. And in part, we learn, you know, if they have traitor disease. It's not just solely for that reason, but we do do this exam, just looking for anything and making sure they're okay. And I do work with, um, we have a professional baseball team that's well, it's affiliated of the Cincinnati Reds. I do exams on them and follow up. And then some of our boxers, there's a couple professional boxers out in the Vegas that I follow and, you know, I'll work with them either in the corner or on some of the eye problems that they have. You know, the athletes are always prone to injuries and certainly the injuries to the face and eye. If one were to suffer a hyphema, that is something that we want to know. If there is a sickle trait or disease, that's going to alter our treatment. It can lead to forms of glaucoma pretty easily. Some of my work with, I work with boxers. Obviously, they're prone to injuries to the eye. And uh, although their disease doesn't preclude them from their sport, but we need to be aware of that uh, and, and monitor them closely. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, this has been a wonderful interview. Many thanks to you, Dr. Patrick Spencer, for joining us today. 
Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and you've been listening to ReachMD. To download this podcast and others in the series, please visit us at reachmd.com slash everydayfamilymedicine. Thank you for listening.